Who of you believe in the working of the Holy Spirit? Yeah? This is not a dead religion. No, we're not a dead religion. People ask you, what are you? We're not in a religion at all. I'm in a relationship. Both starts with R, isn't it? Relationship, religion. You can choose what you want. There's a lot of choices out there if you want to go for a religion. And they will love you as well. Yes, they will. But they can't give you what our relationship can give you. And that is life. And with that relationship comes the Father, comes the Son, and comes the Holy Spirit. You can't have two out of the three. You can't have one out of the three. Some churches, unfortunately, just choose to go with one. We choose to go with all three. That's life. Life in abundance. And joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's what we want to walk in. So as my brother came to the table this morning, he didn't know what I was going to preach about, did you, Vito? I didn't call you 11 o'clock last night, did I? I said, will you please talk in, along this line? So I want to talk to you today about Jesus is the Son of God. Yes? Who believes that, by the way? Who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is one of the most controversial for the world statements that you can make. To say that Jesus, according to the world that is. According to the world you can call Jesus any single thing under the sun. But don't call him the son of God. In fact don't call him Lord. But did you know this morning that there cometh a day. That every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. That Jesus is Lord. That's a little bit loud uh, Kevin. So if we look at verse uh, where, where did I, I, I wanted to, to read it for you, but I think, I think it is verse 11. Let me just see if I find it. But uh, in Philippians chapter 2 verse 11, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ, everybody say Jesus Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the thing, you know, you need, to, you need to confess that Jesus is Lord. You need to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe this this morning? Do you believe that with everything that you've got? What is your proof? That's the question. If people come to you and say, where is your proof? That is what I want to touch on today. And I want to start off with a verse that I ended with last week. In last week we were talking about mature love. Who remember that sermon? Do you still remember mature love? Have your love grown over the last week? Remember, you're not getting more love. Your love that God gave you needs to grow. And that's the same with grace. God gave you grace. It's not going to give you more grace. A lot of people pray for more grace. No, no. He gives to each one grace. And then we need to grow in grace. Have you learned this week how to grow in grace? What else? He gave us faith. You remember faith? He's not, you know, some people say, oh no, he's going to give me more and more and more. No, no. He gives you faith. You know, each one gets faith here. The same faith. And what do you need to do? You need to grow in faith. And what's the fourth one? Knowledge. Knowledge. The moment that you are born again, that you are saved by the grace of God, 
The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And one of the tasks, one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to do what? Is to open up the Word for you. The Holy Spirit is my teacher. There you were before you come to Christ and you open up the Bible and it didn't make sense at all. Was it only me or was it you too? I remember as a young boy, I think 12 years old, 15 years old, we were not in a church who believed in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But there I was opening up the Bible, reading the verses. It didn't make sense to me. Did I spend more time in it? You're not going to spend time in something that doesn't make sense to you, is it? This is why people come to you and say, I've read it and I, I don't get it. Well, you need the Holy Spirit to open it up to you. And the knowledge grows the more you read about Him, the more you come in here and you listen to sermons, the more you sing godly songs, not the nonsense they dish up these days under that banner. I won't go there this morning because I want to stick with the Word of God. Yes, Dennis. Amen. So here John writes to us, the wonderful pure words that comes from God, because the Word of God is, is God-inspired. In fact, <clears throat> when you read that verse there, he says, the Word of God was breathed by God. He gave breath to it. And, and the Holy Spirit makes it, this is the Logos. What is Logos? Logos is the written Word. And each one of you, if you've got a Bible, has got the Logos. Not only is Logos the written Word, but Logos is also a word used for Jesus Christ in John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He still is God. Shout hallelujah. Come on. Amen. Yes, my brother. Let's give the Lord a hand in this place. Come on. Let's give Him a hand. He's still Lord. And we rejoice in that. He said when He made Adam. You, you remember when He made Adam? He made him a living soul there in Genesis. Remember? He didn't make him a dead soul. Some people are walking through life as a dead soul. Oh, life is so difficult. Yeah. He made us a living soul, amen, and we're going to live for Him. Uh, and it's so wonderful. I've lost a little bit of my train of thought there, but let's, it's going to come back. Praise the Lord. 1 John, he writes these beautiful words because it's God-inspired. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, he says, Who is He who overcomes the world but He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So many people want to be overcomers. You get churches who's called the overcomer church. But here it comes down to this verse here. Who is the overcomer? If you want to overcome the world, here is the secret to that. Who is he who overcomes the world? But, everybody say but. But means a sharp contrast. He says, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the most and one of the biggest attacks against Christianity these days. These words that you are reading there. It's like I said before. You can call Jesus anything. You can call Him a prophet. You can call Him a person. You can call Him a good person. You can call Him any single thing. You can call Him an angel. And the world will be okay. But the moment that you call Him God. Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is Lord. That becomes a problem. That becomes a problem in this world. Not in this building, but in this world. And be known that if you go out there and you proclaim as you should, we should go out into the world and proclaim Jesus is Lord. 
Why are you ashamed to do that? No, no, we should go out there. Because He's the one who gives us life. In Him, the Bible says, in Him is light. And that light became our life. The reason you are sitting here today is because He shone His light into your darkened heart. That's why. That's why you are sitting here. And, and, and listen to me. That's how privileged you are to sit here this morning. It's not a right. Who gave you the right to stand up? Because if it's a right, then it's something that you did. But it's nothing that you did. It's nothing that I did. It all comes from Him. He shone His light into your life. And through that light came what? Life. Eternal life. This is the biggest problem these days in, in the world. That Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. And you see the problem that John had during these times when he wrote this letter to his beloved children the problem that he had was the Gnostics of his day. They started coming into the churches and the Gnostics came in and said that Jesus Christ wasn't fully God and fully man. They said that Jesus Christ was a man. And then what happened, the day when he was baptized by John the Baptist, that the God Spirit came over him and then he became God. And then he lived as God. And he continued living as God until the day when he went to the cross. And that day the God Spirit departed from him just before he died. And he died as a man. Do you believe that? That is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. But it is what the Gnostics did in John's day. That is what they said. They came out and said it as it is. And this is why John now writes this letter to his people and he says I want to correct this thing and don't you find it fascinating that John one minute writes about love who knows the love messages that we've preached in this place over the last month you know love mature love you need to love your brother he who says he loves God but he doesn't love his brother is what he's a liar and he's all about and then all of a sudden he changes now and he now talks about this and I go but you were now talking about love, John. We were following you about love. And now all of a sudden you come back to Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. And it's because He addresses this. And it is so serious. So the Gnostics started putting it out in His day. And now, even in our day, it is so rife. That there are people out there walking around that say that you become a small Messiah. Because the God Spirit is coming over you. The same as the God Spirit came over Jesus when He was baptized. Let me just say, be very, very careful for that kind of teaching. We don't become small messiahs. No, no, no. We are fellow heirs of the Son. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand in this place. Amen. We become fellow heirs with the Son. We don't become... You know, these small messiahs are because there's a God spirit now. So it's infiltrated the church back then and it's infiltrated the churches right now. I've been dealing a few months ago with a person in South Africa who, who has got a big following, a big following. And one of the people who's now, who I know, I know they sent me, can you just, you know, this is what they do sometimes to me. They say, can you just investigate this person for me? And I did. And this person is standing there, you know, without any shame, 
and he says, you know, the trumpet which will shout at the end of the time is not the trumpet of the Lord that will shout. We are shouting the trumpet because we are small messiahs. Every time I'm preaching, I'm actually trumpeting God's trumpet. That is not right. That is not right. And this person himself has got a problem with the statement that Jesus is the Son of God. So this is what we have. Now I want to ask you again, what says you this morning in this place? What do you say? If somebody comes around to you and say, do you honestly believe that Jesus is the Son of God? What are you going to say? You're going to say, of course I believe that. You should also believe that. And then if he says to you, but prove it to me. Where's the proof? And then you say, like a lot of people say, well, I know because I know that I know that I know. Isn't that right? <laughs> How do we do that? How do we prove that? You see, the skeptics this morning will come out. That's a skeptic, okay? And the skeptics will come out and they will say to you that Christians, the Christian conversion is merely a psychological sensation. This is what they say. That's what we deal with. That's what Sean deals with when he's out on the streets. The skeptics will come and say to you, it's working well for you. I mean, you say that when Jesus Christ came into your life, He changed your life. That's wonderful. Who's this Jesus? Well, He's the Son of God. He's Lord. Well, that's good. Now, if it works for you, it's not necessarily meaning that it's going to work for everybody else. I mean, look at Richard Gere, for instance. You know, this guy can say the same thing, and he became a Buddhist, and he says, well, you know, Buddha changed his life, and look, he's living a nice life. They say the same about Tom, what is his name? Top Gun. <laughs> now everybody knows. They say the same about Tom Cruise, Scientology. You know, Scientology came and look at the man, he's living a nice life. Who are you to say now that Jesus, it's all the same. What about Madonna? You remember when she came out and she said the Kabbalah, Jew, uh, Jewish or, you know, Judaism. And she changed her life. I don't see any changes there naturally, but let's not go there. But, but here's the thing, they come to you and they say, well, it's working, Jesus is only but one who's working for you. There is many ways, there's many roads that lead to Rome. Yes, Lynn. The preaching of the cross is God's power. Amen. Praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> it is the preaching of the cross, brother. It's not all of those things. So what says you and what says me when these skeptics talk to us? They'll come to you and say, well, it's working for you, but don't try to impose it on all. Isn't that what your family also said? Is it? Is it only my family? Don't give me that Jesus of yours. We've got our own Jesus. And the skeptics are out there and they are so out there. So we can't just come to them and say we've got this fuzzy, warm feeling. With this fuzzy warm feeling every time I open up the Bible, it's not working. So we need a solid foundation for our faith this morning, don't we? A solid foundation. And I love it when Vito talked here this morning and he talked about the foundation, the rock. Who's that rock? Jesus Christ is the rock. He's the cornerstone. And there's nothing more solid than reliable witnesses. And this is one I want to offer you this morning. Reliable witnesses to prove, and I don't have to prove actually, and I'm not going to try to prove that God is God, okay? We don't. He doesn't even try to prove to you that He's God. It is a matter of faith. Faith is a matter of believing in a God that you cannot see with your eyes, but you can see Him in people, yes? And now we turn to the first one. 
You know, when we think about witnesses, when we think about witnesses, God gave us a direction about witnesses. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15 through Moses, He says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning an iniquity and any sin that he commits. Not one witness, but the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So even God, when He started writing the book of life to us, this wonderful love letter, even back in Deuteronomy, He was laying the foundation of witnesses. Eyewitnesses. And here He says, if a man committed an iniquity, back in those days they will put that man to death. He said, no, no, not only one person, but you need two or three witnesses which will make the case. Jesus uses that same when he speaks in Matthew chapter 18, you remember when this is, this is the form that churches use for church discipline? It's not for church discipline that this is used. Jesus talks here about two people who's got an issue. This is two people. He says, moreover, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. What does the word alone mean? It means alone, hello? Hello? <laughs> Well, what do you find these days? You go to that person alone, and then there's a little bit of a talk, and then you go out and you tell all of your friends. You know, I went to jail, and I went to jail, and I said this, and this, and then he said this, and this. And what, is that, what does that person do? He goes to his friends. And in the end, the whole, the whole world is burning about this one issue. And let me just shock you, it happens in churches. This is where it, this, listen, Jesus is talking to the Jews here. And this is for us. He says, no, no, if there's an issue between the two of you, go to him and maybe you can win your brother. Talk it out. Let's talk it out as two adult Christian people. But yes, don't go away there. And then he says, if he hears you, praise the Lord, you've gained your brother. But, sharp contrast, verse 16, if he will not hear, take with you one or two more witnesses that by the mouth of two and three witnesses every word may be established. Now may I just warn you the witnesses that you take is not your best friends that you take with you. <laughs> That's not how it works. Because you can have their sympathy. That's your friends. And you go to them and you gossip about this whole situation. And you say, but now I need to go and talk to him. Will you two come with me? But you've already gossiped about him to those two. Are they reliable witnesses? They will never be. No, no. In this case, you would go to somebody who is not even your friend. You take somebody outside of that circle. That's a different message. But I want to come back to the witnesses. Jesus is the Son of God. Witnesses is a sure is a sure foundation. The first witness we had, by the way, about Jesus is in 1 John chapter 1. You remember that? John writes it himself. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. That word looked upon, they doesn't mean the same I've seen with the eyes. It means we've studied Him. We've studied Him. What He said. He said a lot of things when he was with them. And then, when, listen to me, listen to me now. What he said, he said, you need to love others as you love yourself. Didn't he say that? But then they looked into his life. Is he doing what he's saying? 
That's what that word look in there means. So this applies to us. Because if people look at you and you proclaim to be a child of God, a Christian, what are they going to do? They're going to look what you do, they're going to hear what you say, and then they're going to look into you. They're going to see that if you say something, that you do it. We said a few weeks and months ago here, we want to reach out to our people. The Lord laid upon my heart, we want to reach out to our people. How can we do it physically? While we're giving food now, it may change into something else. But we are doing it. Now, if we continue in the next two years and say, oh, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. People are looking into your life and they will see the things. There's three things. There's three witnesses every single day of your life that you gave out to the world. Three. Did you know that? Every person that you meet, they are looking at your witnesses. They look at what you do, they look at what you say, and then they study you. Oh, they study me. Did you also know that the angels are looking into what you do? So he says, that which was from the beginning, we've heard, we've seen, we've studied him, and the hands have handled him, concerning the word of life the life was manifested and we've seen and bear witness you see there comes the word witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested to us you see that word manifest there remember a few weeks ago I, weeks ago i said to you he it was in the shadow and he just brought it out and revealed it to the world that's what manifest means there. He, he, Jesus Christ in the whole of the Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament. In the Old Testament you couldn't see Jesus. You couldn't see Jesus. What did you see? You see all of the feasts and all of the ordinances. And you see all of the things that the Jews did. But they couldn't see Jesus. In the New Testament what do we see? We see Jesus. And now, with the New Testament, we go back into the Old Testament, and what do we see? We see Jesus. And this is what it means there. He was manifested, so God brought Him out to reveal Him to the world. That which we have seen and heard. How many times has He used the word seen and heard here? We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. And watch now, and watch now what He says in the beginning of the letter. His Son, Jesus Christ. There was no doubt in John's mind that Jesus was the Son of God. And He's the first witness that we have today. The physical eyewitness. You say, but how did He know He was the Son of God? Read your Bible. See how many times John was with Him when Jesus declared that He was God. He Himself declared that He was God, the Son. So you, you say to me today, your friend, your skeptic friend is going to look at you and say, well, tell me. And you say, there's a man called John. And he's seen him, he's touched him, he's heard him. And he was declared to him and he declared it to us. But then again, the Bible says on two or three witnesses, isn't it? Now he gives us three historical witnesses. In verse 5, 1 John chapter 5 verse 6. He says, this is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. There's three volumes of truth in the Bible. Three volumes of truth. The Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. 
And here it is. The Spirit is truth. He says it right there. Now may I say, this is one of the most debatable scripture verses in the Bible. This verse here. It's one of the most debatable and one of the most difficult scripture verses to actually. I've read out and I've led wide and over the years I've studied this verse myself so many times. And today I'm glad that I can just talk about this verse to you. Because it's not as easy as that. You see, with the Gnostics coming in, they try to jump onto this verse as well. Because people say, what does it mean he came by water and blood? What does it mean? And I know that some of you have studied it, but this is what I found. You see, the water and blood, the Lutherans, who knows the Lutherans? And who knows the Calvinists? So Luther and Calvin believed the following. They believed that the water is our own baptism and the communion is what we've seen here today. That's what they believed. And they went forth and in all of their teachings, that is what they will bring out. But then I want to focus your word, your, your focus this morning on this word here, came. You see, I love the Greek. Who knows that? Because the Greek makes it clear to us, isn't it? So when we think about what these two men said, Luther and Calvin, they said, our own baptism is, is what is meant here. He came by water. It's our baptism in Christ. And he came by the blood, which is the table which we partake of. If we look at that word there, came, it means a specific time and a specific event. It is not an ongoing event. So I don't want to say Luther and Calvin is wrong. I mean, I by far don't put my feet into their feet. I'm a rookie against them and I will forever be a rookie. But here is the wonderful thing. If we look into the Greek, we can safely say this morning, I don't think necessarily that that is what this means. So secondly, we look at St. Augustine. Who knows St. Augustine? You know, wonderful testimony about St. Augustine, and I think you should go and read it one time. So he said, he was a very good exponent of the word as well. He said, it refers to the spear at the cross. Who remembers that one? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, and the soldier came around, and he, he took the spear, and he put it into his side, and what came out? Blood and water came out of Jesus. And he said, that is it. That is what happened. St. Augustine for a long time and with his followers said, that is it. But again, I want to bring you back to this word here. Because when he speaks about a specific time and an event, which is Erkumai, it means there was a specific time for the water and there was a specific time for the blood. So again, I don't put myself by far equal to the man St. Augustine, No. But, you know, we've got some time that we could have studied this. And then there's a third group who says about this verse the following. They say the water is the first, water is first, is the birth of Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. And the blood speaks of his death. Now, I've heard a lot of those. I've heard it actually in Pentecostal circles. A lot of people hold on to that belief. Because when you have a natural birth, what is it? There is water involved. But then there's also blood involved at a natural birth. But then he says that when, when he came to the cross, and this is what it refers to. Now, if that is the referral, Jesus was born like a man and he died like a man. That is what they are referring to. He was born like a man and he was died. And he was born like a man. We said a fully man, 
but he was also fully God. But there's a fourth one this morning. And this is what was written, you know, Christian Tertullian was a, a, a church father. And this is what he started uh, studying the scriptures and coming back, you know, how they open up the scriptures. And he, he reckoned, and he put it down to this, he says, the water which talks about here is Jesus' baptism from John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And in that particular day, Jesus Christ identified with sinners. And that's true. You remember when he came to John the Baptist and John said, Lord, I shouldn't yeah, baptize you, but you should baptize me because Jesus Christ, he was fully, uh, he did not have no sin when he was baptized. And that baptism of John was the baptism of remission of sin. That is it. If you open up the scriptures, he prayed, that's what he baptized for. But that baptism changed for us these days. So Jesus appeared and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had no sin in him. But why was he baptized? He was baptized so that he could identify with us. But there's something wonderful that happened that day. Who remember? The skies opened up and what happened? A voice came from heaven and he said, This is my beloved Son and whom I'm well pleased. And what happened right after that? Immediately Jesus was led into the wilderness. So that specific day, something happened. His ministry started. Now somebody said, wait a minute, it sounds just the same as the Gnostics, which said that the God Spirit came over him. He was, before that, he was a normal man. No, no. If he was a normal man before that, then that baptism there wouldn't have happened the same it happened. He would have had to be baptized by John the Baptist because of the sin that was in him. But there was no sin in him. Even John the Baptist acknowledged it. You see the difference here? So he was baptized. And what happened there? That's a, that is this, the coming by the water. And then what happened on the blood? It was when he went to the cross. What, what did he do? He died for innocent sin of the sinners. He took our price with him to the cross. Our guilt to the cross. So can you see how complex this verse is? But it's not. If we come down to the point and understand that this is He who came by the water, he, he identified with us and then He went to the cross and He died for us. Now let's go to verse 7 because we are talking about these witnesses. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, who's got an NIV Bible in the church here this morning? New, New International Version. Nobody. Look at this verse here. He says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Now that is what we said in the first verse, isn't it? He says He came by the water and the blood. And the Holy Spirit is the witness. Because He's truth. We see it here. He says the spirit, the water, and the blood. And then we have this sentence in here. Now I must say to you again, this is one of the most discussed parts of the Bible. Because in the NIV it says it like this. He says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. Is that right, Dennis? 
So what is happening here? Is the NIV cutting out some scripture verses? This is the only time that I will acknowledge that the NIV is right. I mean, and you, you're in the Gideons. You, you, you've got the Bibles there in the Gideons. And, and I think in the Gideon Bible, it's also not there as well. You say, whoa, wait a minute. And I can tell you now, coming from a church in South Africa, this was so much debated that people got so angry and cross with each other about this verse. Because one says, you are cutting from the Bible. You're cutting parts out of the Bible. And no, we are not. I'm going to explain it to you. Because in the early scriptures that came out, this was not in the original text. It wasn't there. It only came in in the 10th and the 15th century after that. And this is now when you go back and you read back. This was written in the side in there by somebody who translated that scriptures over. It wasn't in the original. And you say to me, but it's in our Bible and it's in our Bible and I'm happy to, to, to open it up and explain it for you. Because it's not wrong. It's not wrong if you look at it. It says, in witnesses in heaven, it is true that the Father bear witness. It's true the Son is with Him and the Holy Spirit is in heaven as well. And, and these are one. It is true, but that is not the scripture verse that you go to if you want to try to explain the Trinity of God. Because somebody who is very clever in the Word of God and they are out there, is going to call you up on that. They're going to say to you that this is not in the original text. And they are right. So what does it mean? Well, it means exactly what I've explained to you before. There are three historical witnesses here. What do I mean by that? There was an actual baptism which people saw. People saw the baptism happening. They heard the voice which says, this is my son. There were people who saw... They saw on the cross. And what happened on the cross that day? Peter said it at the table. There was darkness. There was a cosmic thing that happened around the world. Not only in Jerusalem. I love it when you read that book. On the other side of the world, the whole world was darkened. And this is a physical, historical thing that even books now, which wasn't in the Holy Land, is recording that it's happened. And I didn't even confer with you, brother. So we need to look at this now. There is three historical witnesses. And now if we understand that when, when John writes this down, he says there's three that testify the Spirit. And how did the Spirit come down? On the day of Pentecost. Do you remember that? There were people standing around and they looked around and they saw the, uh, uh, it's like tongues of fire coming on the house. And there was like a mighty rushing wind. These are, these are things which people could see, physical historical events. And the Spirit testifies about this because He was accent, he, he was there. The, the Spirit came down when He was baptized like a dove. It wasn't a dove, like a dove. And came upon Him. And then we saw what happened on the day when He was dying on the cross, when He gave up His, his Spirit when He died. So you see, what is the witnesses? There's the witnesses. These are more sure when he wrote to these people against the Gnostics, in verse 9 he says, We've received the witness of men. That's his witness. The witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. That's the witness that God showed. It is the baptism, 
and all of the Holy Spirit happening around it. It is the cross and all of the things happening around it and the Holy Spirit bears witness of that. That is sure. You say this morning, Jesus is the Son of God. Where is your witness? That is my witness. It didn't happen to any other person but Jesus Christ what happened. No person. And even if you want to go further, you can go to all the prophecies in the Old Testament and guess what it's going to do? It's going to show you exactly the same thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now let's finish off this morning. Look at this then. He who believes in the Son of God. Can I see who believes in the Son of God? He's talking to you. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness now in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. This is an important part here. This is an important verse. He says there, he who believes in the Son has the witness. Where? In himself. Isn't that what he's saying? Where is the witness now living? In us. You say, how does it work? Well, I'm glad you've asked because in John chapter 14 verse 16, Jesus walks with his disciples and he says to them, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Who knows what is that helper? It's the parakletos. What is the parakletos? The Holy Spirit. He says, he pray the Father who will give you. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do anything for it. He will give it to you, another helper. Parakletos comes from that Greek word which means para and kletos. Para means to come alongside you. And kletos means I'm called. So I'm called alongside you to strengthen you and to help you. Again, you've heard it before, but I'm going to repeat myself. Parachute. You remember parachute? You jump out of an airplane. The parachute, it means it's coming alongside you and it's our paramedic. That's where we find our words from. That is the same word here. He says he will give it to you that he may abide. Everybody say abide. abide. With you. How long? Forever. Forever. Who's those people who teach that the Spirit comes in and now I do something wrong and now the Spirit leaves me? And now, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the Spirit comes in and lives with me until I do something wrong again and the Spirit leaves me. God doesn't work like that. The moment you are born again and saved, the Spirit comes and lives inside of you forever. You say, but wait a minute now, preacher, if I do something wrong, yes, that is why the Holy Spirit is inside of you, because He will convict you. And what do you do then? You confess. Now, if you do it habitually, God will punish you. Who knows that God punishes His children? Yes. You will get chastisement upon you. Why is the chastisement there? To bring you back. And then I do something wrong, and I confess, and God says, the Holy, next time I want to do that thing, the Holy Spirit comes to you and He goes, ah, ha, ha, ha. you remember when you did it the last time? Yep, don't do it. And what do you do? You do it. Is it just me? Oh, Mitch, people is going to leave now and go, oh, wonder what the pastor did. <laughs> no, no, look, we don't do habitual sins, and I'm by far not saying that we are, I'm not talking good that you should sin, no. No, no, Paul says by far, no, the grace, now that we have grace, should we sin more? No, 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 we don't. The Holy Spirit is there, and He teaches us not to do that, and He will be with us forever. The Spirit of? 
There is it again, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees us know him. But you know him. Do you know him? Do you know the spirit of God? How do you know him? For he dwells with you. And where is he? He will be in you. So if he's in you and you believe in the son of God, we have the witness in ourselves this is why paul writes in romans chapter 8 verse 16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of god now we can say i know because i know that i know <laughs> yes do you know it like that i can certainly stand here this morning i know because i know that i know why? Because the Spirit of God is living inside of me. And what is the Spirit of God bringing inside of me? The witness of what? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Of what? That Jesus is Lord. Have you got that witness inside of you? If you don't, listen to me people online. If you don't have that, there is one way that He comes inside of you. You come to the cross, you confess your sin, you ask God to save your soul. The moment He saves your soul, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 to 13, He says, He baptizes you into the body and He gives you the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! We'll finish with verse 11, because this is a powerful verse. And this is the testimony. What is the testimony? He's talking so much about testimonies here. I think in, in one of the verses, he uses testimony four times in one sentence. He's so clear about this, that he don't want the Gnostics to be down on them. He says that God has given us eternal life. Who's got eternal life in this place this morning? You know, there's some people who say, I don't, I, I don't know, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, make sure that you do know. But can one know? Yes, you can know. You will hear about it next week. Yes, you have to come. I'm advertised for next week. Yes, you can know. He says, God has given us what? Eternal life. You know, I just saw during the week, I saw a news, uh, I, I read newspapers and I go through and I read this one. There's a man, I think in France or somewhere in Europe, who's trying to live forever. And he's, he's getting stuff pumped into his body, he's getting his skin, you know. And I don't know how old he is, he doesn't look well to me, but anyway. But he wants to live forever and he's doing all of the things. I mean, I find myself standing in front of the mirror and I go, whoa, what happened to you? And then you buy this self, you know, and these little things, and you put it under the eyes, that the eyes is not baggy, and you make, uh, yeah, I don't use makeup, by the way, it's all <laughs> natural. But, but, you know, people are doing this to look younger, isn't it? And we want life. But here we have one who comes and says, I will give you that life for free, and you will live forever. And let it just be known, ladies and gentlemen, sis, madam, brothers and sisters, whatever, who you are this morning, that when you come to heaven, there's no wrinkles there. Oh, praise the Lord. Some people will go out of business. It is so wonderful, isn't it? No aching, no, no, no nerve pains and everything. It's so wonderful. We're going to get a brand new, wonderful body. And how wonderful is that? Do you look forward to that? Eternal life which came. And in this, listen now, in this life is in His Son. The life is where? In His Son. So if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, how can you have this life? 
How can you have this life? He says, this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. There's only one way. One way. Jesus said it, John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. The Son is the way. No, no, it's not how many times you come to church. It's not where you go to church. It's not who you follow. It's not how many Bible studies you do. You know, I, I promote that you read through the Bible. You know me. I promote that you study. It's not how impressive you are. If you have the Son, you have life. That's it. That's the message. How do I get the Son, preacher? Well, you come to the cross. You come to Christ. He calls you. Maybe He calls you today. Maybe you are sitting here this morning and you are definitely not sure whether you are saved. I, I've got good news for you. The, the reason why you're even thinking about it now is because the Holy Spirit is calling upon you. Maybe you are backslidden. Maybe, listen to me. Listen to me. Maybe somebody hurt you in church. There's people who will listen to this online over the next 24 hours. Maybe you are one of those who watch from home because you don't want to go to church because it's a lot of hypocrites in church. Well, you know, somebody said join. You know, that's fine. But here is the thing, listen to me now. You come, you come to the cross, and what does He do? He gives you life, and through life comes liberty and freedom. He heals you. He heals the broken heart, the Bible says. Come to the light. And it's so easy. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Let me, I said it's the last verse, my brother, but you said I can go one more. Then, yeah. Let, let me go to the most favorite verse, the most favorite verse that is used in Christmas. Which verse is that? In Christmas, on the Christmas cards. John, I'll give you a hint. John chapter 3, 16. Yeah, there we go. John chapter 3, verse 16. I knew. John chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What did He give? He gave His Son. So life comes through His Son. That's the message. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Now a lot of people write that in their Christmas cards, and if you do that, do me a favor this year and add the next two verses in, will you? Will you? No, you won't. And people won't. Why? Because they look at that and say, that's so negative. Let me read them to you. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. You say, what's negative about that? Well, the world would think it's negative because we, we don't need a Savior. So if you're going to put it in, they're going to say, what do you mean by this? I mean, you always send us this card every year with the same verse. Now you add one verse in. Do you want to say that I'm not saved? You see where this is going? But read the next verse. Read the next verse. He says, he who believes in him is not condemned. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise Amen. Yeah, praise. We said it. We don't shout it. Just praise the Lord. And now he says, but. Everybody say but. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten, listen now, Son of God. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? 
I can't say anything more about that. He speaks for itself. The Holy Spirit testifies about him because the Holy Spirit is truth. I've had somebody who came to me, you know, these witnesses who knocks on the doors. They came to me in New Zealand once and they started talking about and, and they, you know, they've got the Bible as well, their own version. And I opened up there and, and they said, you do not accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, but it's written right here. He's the Son of God. And, they, and I said, and if you do not accept Him as the Son of God, you are doomed. You, you, you're on your way, sorry to tell it to you straightforward, but you're on your way to an eternal hell. How can you say that? How can you condemn us? Who give you? You're not God. To I said, no, 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 no. I'm not God. Let me read. And I took their Bible, which is, you know, close to the NIV, by the way. I, I'm not going to go there. It's close to it. I, I'm not saying it is it, but I opened it up. I opened it up at that and I said, no, no, I'm not condemning you. And I read that verse. He says, if you do not believe in the name of the Son of God, you are condemned already. I said, there were two of them, two men. I said, look, they were standing there. I said, look, I just want to say to you, I'm so sad because you are standing condemned here. This is condemned. And they would try to, you know, I said, okay, let me pray over you. Oh, no, 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 they run. So, so here it is. Here it is. Before we pray, if somebody can call my wife. The message today is Jesus is the Son of God. Highly contentious. But do you believe that? Can you say that? Is that what you live by? If you have the Son this morning, you have life, eternal life. Doesn't matter what comes to this world or what, you will have that life. I want to speak to you, you know, they, and then again I come back to this thing. Maybe you were so close to God and He spoke to you and the Holy Spirit warned you, but now, you know, you're doing the same thing over and over again and His voice is just becoming a little bit quieter. That's what's happened. You can grieve the Spirit of God. You can grieve Him. And all he's going to do, he's still there. He's going to talk to you, but he's, he's, his voice is just now. The other voices, the other things in your life is just quieting him down. Maybe it comes to a point where you just to say, Lord, help me. I confess that I've backslidden so far that I'm not listening to that spirit. I want to come to the point now where I confess that before you. I want to come to the point where you still talk behind my ear and I listen. And my ears are wide open so that I can hear. If that's you, I'm not going to call you out, but just when we pray, just call out to the Lord. I can't do anything for you, brothers and sisters. I can only point to Christ. That's all I do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your loving kindness, which is better than life, for your patience, Lord, for your long-suffering. And Father, this morning as we talked about Jesus, who is the Son of God, I'm so I'm so glad, Lord, that you sent, God, that you sent your Son, your only begotten, one of a kind, your only begotten Son, to come to this world. And there's so much testimonies and witnesses about it. Father, we've got a sure witness, the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray, Lord, as we go from this place this week, that we are reminded. We are reminded that we are only sojourners through this world. We've got a better, a, a better beach waiting for us, a better land waiting for us, Beulah land, Father, to be with you. But for now we live, as Paul says, and we work and we see. And we pray, Lord, that you will touch. And, and Lord, uh, as you spirit it laid upon me, I don't know why this week, Father, but maybe there's somebody listening to my voice now who's not where they need to be in their relationship with you, Lord. And they know and you know. I don't know, Father, but you know and they know the spirit 
convicts. I pray, Lord, that as they confess, they come close to you again. They hear your sweet voice again. They hear that voice that guides them every step by step, foot of the way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.